Today, Does Not Compute is brought to you by our friends at DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean provides high-performance virtual machines that you can spin up and start using in just seconds. Sean and I both love and use DigitalOcean for our personal projects. They're super reliable, priced to scale, and have an incredible DevOps learning library, which I'm sure many of our listeners have used at least once in the past. It's filled with great tutorials on setting up and running your own servers. They've also got awesome server templates ready to go with open source tools like Rails, Magento, and Node. If you want to start from scratch, they've got you covered there as well with many of the most popular Unix distributions. If you haven't checked out DigitalOcean, you should definitely give them a try. Sign up at digitalocean.com using the offer code DOESNOTCOMPUTE and they'll give you a one gigabyte droplet free for a month. Time has no maximum velocity. It Just the longer that you fall through time, the faster you go. I've heard people say that, and it's true. Yeah, it it certainly feels that way. It was just your birthday, Paul, and you are now moving a little bit faster than you were last year through time. I'm moving a little bit faster than I was last second, at least relative to my own age. Yes. It's always changing. Which means I'm moving much faster than you are. I'm already burning up. That's why I'm crispy right now. Well, I tell everyone I know I have a birthday, so that way no one tries to mess with me on my birthday. Because I don't really yeah, care about it's it. It's coming up real quick, though. Yeah. I don't have a birthday, though, so I don't have one. I'm just here. <laughs> I just exist. Crispy. I was not born. Yeah. I will not die. I am Washington. <laughs> no, I'm just trying to fight the good fight in terms of dev stuff, you know, trying to be organized, trying to get everyone on the same page, um, trying to make my teammates' lives easier. And it's not easy, um, but it's necessary. You know? Yeah, I think figuring out how to get all your engineers on the same page is something that every single company struggles with, whether that's a two-person startup or a 2,000-person massive company. Like, you're always going to have that issue of how do we get everybody on the same page? Well, luckily so far, it's, it's, it hasn't been that difficult. I mean, in terms of how we like to approach solving problems or technologies that we want to adopt, we're all pretty much there. I think the larger scheme of things is where we're working on now. Like, how do we approach certain projects? You know, if a project manager says, how long will this take? You know, how do we go about figuring that out? Especially if it's something that we've never done before, or if it requires us learning a new thing, you know, if maybe I've only built one Shopify site and someone comes up to me and says, can I do this in Shopify? I don't necessarily know the answer. You know, and then that means that I have to go and use more time to research and I still don't actually know the answer unless it's like documented concretely, you know, because I've been in plenty of situations where someone says, yeah, you can do that with X service and you totally can't. So, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to just relay. Yeah. Someone told us that I could do this or we could do this and just kind of pass that down the line. And then it almost always happens where you're three quarters into the project and the one thing you need is the one thing that I can't do. I mean, I think the biggest thing for me is if that's happening, if that's part of your job, figuring out requirements for projects, you should 100% have the time that you need to spend on that thing because it's part of your job. So like if, if it's a problem that you don't have enough time, that seems to me like somebody should be looking maybe at the actual, the culture of the company and saying like, why aren't these people given time instead of you feeling guilty about not being able to do that? 
I think that's a that's a pretty important first distinction there. Yeah, exactly. That's a really good way to put it. Someone feeling guilty about something. Yeah, we're doing a lot better at uh, not feeling guilty with in situations like that. We're starting to learn that it's just part of it. And you're right, time is very important. And if if you don't have time to do that sort of thing, then that's kind of a foundational issue. We're kind of in a unique situation where we've had a couple of projects come back to us where a contractor wasn't able to finish things and we were already busy and then it just kind of threw more wood onto the fire, I suppose. And that, you know, when you're busy and when you're frustrated, all of your problems kind of compound. Your frustration compounds exponentially, right? So it's kind of a matter of, you know, figuring out what do things look like when things are normal, when it's not like this, when I don't have two extra projects that weren't on the books, weren't scheduled, they just kind of happened. What do things look like when we're booking the work that we want to work and the kind of work that we want to take in, uh, as opposed to just feeling, fielding whatever we can get. Um, and I don't know, it sounds, it's kind of weird to say that, right? Like, what does it look like when things are normal? Because in consulting, it's difficult. You know, there's, there's always an element of unknowns. That kind of is the normal for consulting. Like there's always something changing, always something new, always something unexpected. Um, and that's part of what a lot of people love about it. But it is, it does make it very hard to have something that you can call standard or normal. Yeah, exactly. It's part of accepting that, you know, knowing that we work in a consultancy and accepting that things are going to be wild most of the time. Um, but in that, you can find some staples. And then that's what we're working on. You know, we settled on Vue. We settled on uh, using Statomic 2 for, for most sites and settled on Rails. You know, those those aren't questions that we ask. And now it's mainly mainly like how, you know, how do we solve a certain problem or this client needs this feature. Have we done it before? Yes. How much time did it take? And kind of going from there. And I think that's what it is. I think that most of the projects we'd be getting have been more complicated than the last. So it's difficult to estimate. I mean, everyone says one of the most difficult things about software is estimating, right? Between like naming things and estimating, those are two of the hardest things. And granted, I'm new in this role. So it's me kind of learning, you know, how do I estimate for myself? How do I estimate for my team? Etc. It's just kind of more, I guess. What's kind of funny to me about that is you mentioned that now that you've decided fully on a consistent set of tools for every project, that it makes it a lot easier to spec things out in a lot of cases. And it always seems to come back to that, right? Like sticking with tools that you know and that you love. Everything is somehow connected to that. Like use the tools that you know, because those are the ones you're going to be most effective with. And I just, I, it just, is interesting to me how much of a recurring theme that is for us. Yeah. I mean, I don't understand how you could function outside of that. You know, I guess if your job in some in some way is maybe being like a CTO where you're exploring things, you're exploring uh, new technologies or things that could benefit your business or your employees, you know, they can be more effective or whatever. But that's kind of different too, right? That's not the CTO exploring and trying to get something done at the same time, right? They're, they're different. There's an exploratory phase. And then there's a, we need to be productive phase. And those two really shouldn't mix. And I found myself, I guess in the past six months, maybe those things were mixing more often than I would have liked. And I think primarily that was because I had just decided on Vue. And so I was having to learn Vue in that kind of ecosystem. And I was getting more familiar with Rails in that ecosystem. So maybe there's a feeling of, I'm still learning Rails. I'm still learning front-end JavaScript. And I'm also having to make decisions for other people as well. And so that's maybe where some of the turmoil comes from. Uh, but it's always kind of a struggle between feeling like you're fighting against the grain, I guess, and feeling really confident in what you're doing. 
I think one thing that makes it a lot easier to build out a good spec sheet for any sort of job, whether that's consulting or even just trying to figure out a project at a, at a product company, what will be very helpful is super solid requirements. You need them. You need to know exactly what this client wants, because if, if a client says, oh, I want a website, and then you're told to make a spec on that, that's not going to be super helpful. So when you have to make a spec, make sure that you have the requirements, not I want to make a website. Maybe it's I need to build an e-commerce website that ships to primarily to people overseas. That's a very different set of things that you might write down or investigate. So making sure that you understand up front what exactly is needed by the stakeholders, then that's going to save you so much time trying to build out a spec. That is really important. And I remember when, again, Paul, when I first started working with you, I keep mentioning that time period for me, but it was, for me, it was, you know, pretty important in my development as a programmer. Um, I would never ask questions. If I wasn't sure about something, I would always make a stupid assumption and then it would always come back to bite me. Uh, And I don't know what my deal was with asking questions, but that's one thing I've learned over the past few years is if you're unsure of anything, even if you're just a little bit unsure, double check. The client's not gonna not gonna think you're stupid or something, you know. If you can't figure something out on your own, it's always better. I mean, it's there. It's in their best interest for you to ask, you know, for you to clarify things, right? Um, but that's one thing that I had to learn the hard way, and I feel like there's a lot of people like that as well that uh, aren't necessarily comfortable asking lots of questions and asking the detailed questions. And I feel like for me, for a long time, it was I didn't necessarily know what to ask. Like you said, a client needs a website. I I would think in my mind, okay, um, maybe do you need a blog? Do you need this? I would start to narrow it down a little bit. But my, my questions weren't very granular. And the more that I get into estimating, the more that I get into, you know, trying to tell someone how long I think something might take is like figuring out which like really granular questions to ask. And most of that just comes from experience. So I had the benefit of working for you where I would ask a question and then you would be like, all right, well, here's three more questions. You know, you would break it down even farther. <laughs> I sound so obnoxious. Uh, no, I mean, it was, it was beneficial really. And sometimes to like, even today I said something, I was like, that was a very Paul thing to say, <laughs> but it was a necessary uh, question that I had to ask. But yeah, I mean, maybe some of it was just me kind of overcoming insecurities and hoping that someone thinks that I know what I'm talking about when I don't ask questions to clarify. Uh, but now I guess I just don't care that much and I just ask questions because I know that it will take me longer and I'll get frustrated if I don't. Yeah. And I mean, asking questions is just, that's never a bad thing to do in my opinion, at least like everyone should be asking a lot of questions, not just to clients, but to other developers, to designers, to all the people that were around, because that is so much of how developers learn these days is just by absorbing things around them. Um, Obviously, more and more people, we've talked about this in a recent episode, more and more people are getting into programming without college degrees and that sort of thing. So learning from each other in that way becomes just even more helpful. Another thing I've been thinking about recently, and I've heard some people at Octopus talk about, is doing uh, postmortems on projects and how beneficial that can be. Uh, So I find that in the majority of my programming career, I've gone from project to project kind of quickly. And granted the early stages were me learning how to program and freelancing at the same time while doing the band stuff. So I kind of had to move quickly. Otherwise I didn't have food. Um, That put a lot of pressure on me. Right. But what I ended up doing was moving so quickly that I didn't ever do any postmortems on projects that I had done. 
I didn't ever look at a project and think to myself, what went well, what didn't go well, and why? You know, I didn't think about why things were going the way they were going. I didn't ask questions um, that would help me form those conclusions. One of our devs asked in the channel earlier, uh, he said, I'd like to know how developers can better provide input into job spec slash expectations. And when a client says we need X, Y, and Z, is there a way to say yes or no or maybe without spending lots of time in docs and prototyping? And there's, I mean, that's a pretty nuanced question. There's a lot of different ways you could answer that. Um, but one of them off the top of my head is just experience, right? I mean, you don't know how to answer a question unless you might have experience in that area. And one of those ways to build that experience is a, you know, by doing those things or B, looking at asking questions from people that have done those things. And I guess asking like, Paul, if you've done a project before and I need to build something similar, I can ask you questions. That's similar to me if I've just finished that project, asking myself questions like what went well, what didn't go well, what can I learn from this experience, right? So again, that comes back to asking questions, but uh, in this case, making sure that after we've done a project, you know, instead of just moving on to the next, having a period where we write things down, what went well and why, what took longer and why, what went faster than I expected and why. So basically, once you have a list of those whys, you can then rely on those for future projects. Right. And that allows you to take those whys and turn them into hows. Like, how do we fix this issue? How do we make these things better? And that'll help you get action if you know the right questions to ask. It's a lot like being data driven, you know, making decisions based on actual facts that you have available. But instead of doing it for a website, doing it for humans and, and your process. That's really true. Uh, you know, I just keep I keep talking about guitars on the show, but I can't help it. I like guitars a lot. And it's kind of similar. I look at it like if you play guitar and you want to get better, just playing the guitar is not going to make you that much better. You might get a little faster, you might get a little stronger, or you might learn a cool tune and that's great. But if you actually want to see real benefits in your playing, it takes some introspection. You know, you have to record yourself playing and identify where your actual weaknesses are, you know? Uh, and that was one thing that, again, I had it took me a long time to learn. You know, I thought that just like noodling on the guitar, I was kind of practicing, but it wasn't. It took a lot, a lot more effort. And what it all boils down to is, I guess, just effort in those things. If it's important to you to smooth out that process, it's going to take you effort and some introspection and some thinking and some questions to figure that out. And it's just, you know, like learning, learning how to play guitar. You're going to have to ask yourself questions. Why can't I play as fast as I want to? Or why can't I play this lick? One of the one of the best pieces of music advice that I was ever given uh, is still to this day one of the most frustrating things for me, and that is when you're trying to learn something, slow it down and play it slower than you think you can play it until it's perfect, and then speed it up. Uh, and that's still frustrating for me, but it's still true. You know, the more the more that I take things slow and really focus on certain aspects of playing things, that I actually will progress, and it's kind of it's almost really similar to development. Our industry focuses on moving so quickly. You know, you got to ship right now. You got to ship yesterday. Someone else is going to come and eat your lunch if you don't. Um, that a lot of people just don't take time to think about stuff, ask questions and see how they can improve. I guess in a lot of ways, improve your quality of life. So we started off this conversation actually talking about what you're trying to do to help day-to-day -day life for you and the developers who work with you to just, you know, get stuff done and be fast and efficient. Um, and one of those things I know that we've talked about in the past are global linter configs for the organization. You were doing some stuff, I believe, with GitLab CI, and last we talked about this. 
Yes, that's correct. So what's what's the story there? How's that been going? Um, it <laughs> it hasn't. So <laughs> I mean, we have the configs that we've decided on, and everyone pretty much uses like Atom Linter, or Sublime Linter, or Syn- uh, what is the Vim one? Syntastic, I think. Yeah, so everyone is using linting, which is pretty okay. And we've been doing weekly code reviews, which is pretty good. Uh, we just haven't really had time to focus on the DevOps. But interestingly enough, we've been kicking around the idea of getting a GitHub organization plan and doing current projects on GitHub and archiving things to GitLab. Um, because GitLab is great. I love it. Uh, GitLab CI is pretty okay. But maybe some of my troubles have been we've had GitLab for so long and it was migrated to an Omnibus install and so I don't know if there's like legacy things that's messing with stuff, but if we switch to GitHub, pretty much anything, drone, circle CI, anything has GitHub integration. So in my mind, it's one less thing to worry about. It's one less thing on my plate. If we switch to GitHub, which isn't that expensive for an organization, it's like 25 bucks a month. And then we just archive all our code to GitLab. I don't even have to think about integrations. They're just there. That seems like a solid plan. Yeah, I mean, especially since you already have the GitLab set up and you know it's a safe place to archive to, that kind of solves the the repo limits on GitHub, which is nice. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that removes that problem from the equation. It kind of, you know, the price isn't bad, especially since we're a company, you know, 25 bucks is like nothing. Um, we still have all of our unlimited open source uh, repos, so that doesn't change. It's just that now all of the open source and all of the current projects are living in the same place. Not to mention GitHub just feels snappier, I guess, than GitLab does. But I think that, like for me, I'm trying to make things better for my team, trying to make things, uh, make people more efficient, I guess. And so if we're doing open source on GitHub, you know, uh, it just makes sense to to swap over current projects to that, especially, I mean, you just get more wins with having almost every service under the sun has a GitHub integration. So it's just something else that I don't have to do. Yeah, we use GitHub at Imagix and it's, I mean, it's fantastic. Everybody knows GitHub. Everybody likes GitHub. Everything integrates with GitHub. It's it's awesome. This episode isn't even sponsored by GitHub. They're just, they're just great. Not yet, <laughs> anyway. We're coming for you, GitHub. So the reason I bring up linting is you actually just sent me a, a pretty interesting article a little bit ago about enforcing dangling commas for multi-line statements in JavaScript. There are a couple benefits here. One of them is that you'll get way cleaner diffs, which is great You know, when you're working in Git or when you're working in GitHub, you can go in there and things just look cleaner. They're a bit easier to read. And since you're pretty often gonna change a multi-line statement around, you know, whether that's adding something to a list or an object or what have you, that's something that you'll probably have a lot of diffs of. And so it can add up. I think that this is pretty great. The bigger takeaway for me for this particular item is that this is just one thing out of all the hundreds of items from all the different linters and all the different programming languages and all that. But this one little thing has a whole article dedicated to it. So I think getting this stuff figured out in your organization is such a pain. It's terrible. And it's really hard to get programmers to agree on this stuff, at least in some cases. But if you can get through that and set up these kind of standards for your organization early on, it's going to make stuff so much simpler in the long run. You won't have to have those discussions every few weeks when somebody gets mad about it because it's set. It's done. You can forget about it. When you're onboarding people, they'll have, it's like, here's all the linters that, and here's how the, we set up each one of them. So they are just ready to go. They understand all the code conventions. Nobody has to explain it to them or have it written out in some document that people forget to update. It's just there and it's working. And when you're refactoring code later on, having those 
styles in place for a long time will mean that your older code is going to be easier to work on. So that's just a lot of wins from having these decisions made. It'll make your code feel more familiar, which is huge. The, the two projects that I inherited recently, uh, the, the hardest thing about them is that they don't feel familiar. The approach to writing CSS is different than I'm used to. Um, the approach to even just how the white space is treated in a markup is different than I'm used to. And that's what takes me half the time is figuring out what's going on. Once I, you know, once I can grok the situation, I'm able to make changes. But until I can even understand what's going on, I can't really make a change without wondering if I'm going to break something. So getting that stuff decided is hugely important. And that's actually something we've talked about. We're going to revisit some of that and get that decided on. So when we do end up switching over to GitHub and figuring out which CI servers we're using, et cetera, we can just go ahead and use that. And then again, it's just one less thing to think about. Yeah, it's great. It's one of those really small things that becomes a huge time saver over time and a huge headache saver. You know, what's interesting is that when I originally read the trailing comma article that you mentioned, I, what did I say to you? I was like, I oh, just get rid of them, get, just get them all out of there. And I think that's mainly habit because my linter is configured to say, get rid of this. So I just do it. I see an underline and just, I chop it off. Um, but after reading the reading this person kind of talk about why they think it's a good idea, it totally makes sense to me. And it's similar to when I first saw Elm or maybe PeerScript, I think it is, uh, how they actually put commas first at the beginning of the line. Uh, I thought was like, I first thought, why would anyone do this? And then someone said, oh, well, it just makes commenting lines super easy or deleting lines super easy. You can just delete a line and not worry about anything behind it, which makes sense, you know? Yeah, but don't feel like you have to choose this rule one way or the other. I, I feel like it's an important thing for me to say personally, because I kind of don't like to be too dogmatic about that stuff. Personally, I think it's great to make choices, but I'm not saying my choice is necessarily the right one, you know? And I think what it really matters is just that your organization decides on what feels right for you and your team. And that's going to save you countless seconds to minutes of debate. I think what really matters is consistency in the end. I let out a uh, passive aggressive tweet the other day that said developers be consistent. And I feel kind of bad about doing that, especially since a couple episodes ago, I said that I was working on that. But I think, yeah, that's the biggest thing. And like, that's the most stressful thing to me is when I, when I look at a code um, and it's not consistent, it, it kind of derails me. It's like a combo breaker. Um, I get used to seeing something a certain way and then suddenly it's different and then I don't know what to do for a second. But really, I mean, if you're being consistent, if you're writing your code consistently and you're following the same style rules as other people in the company you're working with, things are just going to feel familiar. You know, you're going to feel at home when you open up a project and then the more confident, the more at home you feel at, in the code, you know, the faster you can be productive, the faster you can be efficient in doing what you're trying to do, which is you know, obviously what everyone's looking for is feeling at home. Today's episode was sponsored by DigitalOcean. If you're looking for a host for your personal stuff or your company's next big app, DigitalOcean's got you covered. They provide private virtual machines starting at just $5 a month. They're all running on SSDs and they're in data centers all over the world. So you can put your servers near your users. Check them out today at digitalocean.com and sign up with the offer code does not compute and you'll get one month of a one gigabyte droplet for free. Thanks for listening to Does Not Compute. If you like the show, remember to spread the word by rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It's the most effective way to help the show, and it only takes a couple seconds. 